Welcome to the Faith Today podcast, conversations inspired by Canada's Christian magazine. Michael Messenger, president of World Vision Canada, joins us from the Romanian border with Ukraine, where they are welcoming hundreds of thousands of people fleeing the conflict in Ukraine. Michael takes us behind the scenes and shares what it's like to be there speaking to the mostly women and children forced to leave Ukraine, what he is seeing and feeling, and what we can do here in Canada. Michael, thank you so much for uh, joining us from Ukraine. I can't imagine what you're seeing and experiencing there, and that's what we're hoping to hear from you. So what has your experience been so far since arriving in the country? Well, I'm actually in Romania at the Romania-Ukraine border. So just about uh, eight kilometers from here. At the moment, I'm at a warehouse for a large distributor that we've just procured a number of supplies that are actually going in a convoy to into Ukraine today. Most of my time, though, has been actually on the Romanian side, where we are greeting many of the 200,000 refugees who have come into this country, among the two and a half million that have fled the conflict in Ukraine. Wow. So tell us what the distribution center looks like and what you're doing there. Well, what we've just finished a minute ago is put the first of probably three truckloads full of goods that have been procured using donated funds purchased here from it's almost like a large Walmart kind of center here in the town of Surrett near the border. These are all supplies that will be going to serve the needs of displaced people in a town about 65 kilometers into Ukraine. It's the site of a hospital and a school. And we've managed to get a connection through the the mayor of Surrett with this twinned with this town. And they told us about the desperate needs that the people had there. So at any given time, there have been more than 500 displaced people at this site. They change all the time. And so the kinds of things that we have in, in the vehicles going today Dozens of blankets, pillows, bedding, care supplies like diapers for for children and for adults, for elderly people, and food. Everything from tea to oats to oil, flour, and basic food supplies. And so this is the second of the convoys that are going to this location. And the teams will be coming back and forth with vans today. Interesting story. I mean, the dynamics of getting across the border and back are really tricky, as you might imagine at the moment. And one of the issues is that To find drivers for the people from Ukraine who brought the vehicles here, they have to be over 61 if they're male, because otherwise they have to stay behind to participate in the military action. And so we actually have had to do some some logistical swapping today of, of vehicles and drivers so that we can get them back and forth across the border. But the teams are deeply committed. They've been working with these you know, commitments from the, the get-go. And this this connection into Ukraine is just going to grow over the coming weeks. Oh, I can't imagine. So what is the emotional state of the Ukrainian people who are arriving there? I have to tell you, Karen, it's been it's been quite heartbreaking to sit down and hear these stories. You know, we, we, we hear huge numbers, right? Two and a half million refugees, 200,000 people coming into Romania alone. But behind those numbers are stories of individual families. And most of them are women and children. Most of the men are left behind. They are coming often with just what they can carry or wheel behind them or wheel in front of them. And so people coming with backpacks and and rolling bags and strollers, of course, because there are kids. It's bitterly cold here. The conditions are really difficult. Many of them, they've told us about their harrowing journey to get to the border. So I was talking to one family, uh, the woman, I'll call her Irena. Uh, She and her son were, we, we met with her in 
sort of a dormitory at a boys' school that had been taking in people. And World Vision had been providing some supplies to this center in near the near the border. She was just in tears, describing how uh, she had been fleeing sh- fleeing the shelling. She and her family stayed underground for about seven days in a basement shelter before they were able to kind of get a train and and move out. Uh, She was telling me that, in fact, every time a police siren went by that she heard, she would get that sense that a bomb was going to drop. So she's obviously carrying this trauma with her. And her seven-year-old son was even more so. You know, they're scared, they're tired, exhausted, not sure what's coming next. And he was feeling confusion as well, worry, and actually anger, I think, at the situation. It was clear that he didn't really know how to process that. And he'd been left, you know, he'd had to leave his father behind. So that's just one example of so many stories that we've heard since we've been here talking to refugees, hearing their stories and and trying to provide support. So when people arrive at the center, where are they then being housed right now? Are they going to families in the area or? Well, it's a whole variety of things, actually. So the situation is when somebody crosses the border into Ukraine, uh, sorry, into Romania from Ukraine, and this is similar to what you'd see in other Eastern European countries as well, like Moldova or Georgia or Poland. They're, first of all, they're screened by the border people in the, in the local country. And that's a very important thing to do because they need to be registered. But they also, people are on the lookout for kids, particularly who may be traveling unaccompanied, separated from their parents or or traveling with with sort of limited supervision, because there's always a risk of exploitation of children like that or human trafficking. That's always a concern in these refugee flows. It shows the worst of humanity, I think, at moments like that. But, But the good news is that World Vision is part of a child protection network at the border, working with other agencies like UNICEF and Save the Children to ensure that we're also keeping an eye out and alert for that. So they go through this screening process and uh, welcomed into the country. The next step really is for them to, to get figure out what they want to do next. And so here in Romania, they are being offered free transportation either to a kind of a transit camp. World Vision is working alongside the government with a couple of places, helping to equip them with into these tents with things like heaters, which are really needed in the winter conditions, uh, and also space for kids to play, uh, just to kind of psychological first aid, if, if you think of it that way. And so they're, they're given an option. Some people know where they're going. So they perhaps they know they have a relative in Germany and they want to get to Bucharest to hop on a train to go next. But many and increasingly, we see the numbers of people who don't know where they're going increasing right now in the second wave of, of refugees. They're not sure. And so they're offered a place to stay. There are many, many Romanians that have let people into their homes where vacant places to stay. Others are staying in makeshift shelters until they know what's next. Of course, the big concern is if the conflict continues and the flow of refugees increases, at a certain point, it's going to, you know, they, they could perhaps have to put in place refugee camps or other kind of settings. But it's still so unknown. The one thing I will say, I mean, it's always difficult even to describe the situation or, or even the response because it's just so volatile and fluid at the moment. Everything is changing day by day, and we're doing our best to change with it as well. And this is uh, a situation where I gather, I mean, the hope would be for mo- most, I'm sure, all almost all the people leaving Ukraine is that they will be able to go back. So we're not in a situation yet where I don't imagine people are thinking of coming to Canada or the States. Is is that your feeling? 
Well, I think some will be wanting to do that, okay. actually. It's, again, it's hard to know. And the longer the conflict goes on, the greater possibility that that is going to happen. I know from involvement in other refugee settings that often when people cross that border and leave their land, especially if a war is continuing to rage, it gets harder and harder to come back. Now, every single person that we've spoken to say, I want to go home. I want to go back. Uh, but even if, even if the conflict were to start today, stop today, conditions have to be right. So there are big parts of the country where the infrastructure has been damaged or destroyed. We know that hundreds of thousands of Ukrainians are facing no water, no electricity. And of course, all the social structures have kind of been broken down as well at the moment. So the conditions will have to be right. It'll have to be you know, rebuilding uh, when the time comes. But the longer the, the, the conflict goes on, the harder that transition back uh, becomes. And unfortunately, we know that too long that you know, if we think about the Syrian conflict or, or I think about um, South Sudanese refugees into northern Uganda, the fact is that once they're in those camps and they, they begin to sort of establish themselves, even if they want to return, it gets harder and harder to do so. So we're praying that peace will come as quickly as it can and calling on the governments to reflect that as well. Michael, when you're there seeing people come and speaking with people and gathering these stories, what should we know about this story that we might not be hearing about from other places or that we just can't get from not being there like you are? I think the, you know one thing to think about is just, I always encourage people that I speak to to try to put themselves into the shoes of the refugees and what, what that must be like. I often come to this, I can't help it. I come to this as a, certainly as a Christian, but also as a father. I think, what must it be like? How bad must the conditions be around me for me to scoop up my children, grab what I can at hand and flee into an incredible unknown through tough conditions and into an uncertain future? I mean, that just gives you a sense of just how desperate they are and reminding people that people in Ukraine, in Romania, South Sudan, around the world, they love their children just as much as we do. I think that's the first thing. And the second thing, when I'm speaking to people of faith, people, especially to Christians, you know, I, I, I just remind them that you know, the, Bible, the Bible doesn't use the word refugee anywhere, but there's a lot of talk of the stranger among you and the sojourners and those in welcoming them. And who is my neighbor? You know, it's this theme again and again as we follow Jesus to reflect that these are among those people that we see in Matthew 25 is the least of these. You know, when you're a stranger, you welcome me in. Romanians are doing that physically right now. Canadians can do that by working through organizations like ours, extending that hand across the ocean to help people that they've never even connected to, who, as Jesus would say, are our neighbors. So that's, it's trying to make those personal connections at a head level, a family level, and of course, at a faith level. What is the role of the church in situations like this, Michael? Like, I, I think you're there representing us, being the church. I know there must be lots of other Christians uh, and, and people of faith helping out. Tell us more about that, what the role of the church is. Here at World Vision Romania, we've been working here for many, many years. We're ramping it up with, of course, the augmented response with experts from all over the world. But we have longstanding partnerships with churches and you know what? I have been really impressed, even, even as I've been at the border in Surrette, the organizations that are there helping refugees, it includes the Orthodox Church, and there are clergy that are there handing out some of the basic needs. Some of the first people that are welcoming people into Romania are these clerics. And also, 
some groups of youth who are part of this Tomorrow Generation group. It's a branch, a branch of one of the churches. I can't read Romania, so I wasn't sure exactly the, the church, but you know, they're coming from a faith perspective. And these are young people giving their time and demonstrating what it means. So you see people both formally in the church, groups like ours that are, are Christian faith-based that are responding, and also young people who are living out their faith in action. So it's really encouraging. I've had the privilege as well of talking with refugees and actually praying with them in a moment of recognizing that sometimes our, you know, our faith are those things that we hold on to and we're, you know, Jesus is close to the, God is close to the brokenhearted. Partnership with the churches and, and faith communities, I mean, it's an indispensable part of a holistic response to a problem like this. You've probably just answered this question, but I'm going to ask it again anyway, in a different way. But when I imagine you there and you're seeing what is probably one of the most awful things happening in the world right now, and yet there are these moments of beauty and resilience and truth that you're just sharing. And I guess I'm wondering what encourages you personally when you're in these kinds of really intense, painful situations. Well, you know, first of all, I think there needs to be room in moments like this for lament. I mean, we see that in the Psalms, we see that in the Bible, you know, where we, it, we, I don't think that even if we believe in a, in a God who's faithful and has the, the end game and we know that Jesus has overcome, you know, sin and, and death, it doesn't mean that we just go blindly optimistically into the future and ignore the suffering that we see around us. So some of it is kind of sitting with people in, entering into their pain. But the question is, what do we do with that? And, uh, you know, I actually recently reflected on this a couple of weeks before the conflict. I was reflecting at World Vision on our mission statement, which is our vision for every child, life in all its fullness, our prayer for every heart, the will to make it so. And that idea of life in all its fullness actually comes from Jesus' words in John 10.10, where he says, I have come to give you life, life in all its fullness, or life to the full. And when I think about that, and I, that's what we want for, for these people, these, these children, these families, that opportunity experience that. When we have that vision in front of us, we know that the pain, the experience we can lament, but we can't sit there and be paralyzed. Or worse, we get angry and just kind of you know, bitter and, and not respond. I try to take those feelings that I have, and I look, my heart breaks every time I'm in these contexts. It's not like I'm a stoic person by any means. But I try to use the emotions that I feel, the fear, the, the worry, the stress, even the anger, I'll, I'll admit, to drive me into action, to kind of live out what I think is going to come. And we, we know, I hold on to the, to the picture of, of God's kingdom that he paints, for example, in the prophet in Isaiah 65, where he talks about the new heavens and the new earth. And he describes, describes that where people are living in the homes that they built, their children don't die, old people, you know, live full life. There's, there's, good relationships with each other. So lack of conflict, but the peace in that he describe is more than that. It's a lack of conflict, but it's also good relationships with God, relationships with creation. And so I try to, at these moments, think about the difference between the brokenness that I'm experiencing now and, and seeing and witnessing, and that vision that Isaiah paints of that future kingdom, and try to pull those values and what I know to be the future from there into the present moment. And that spurs me to action. And so that's, that's, that's kind of how I process it. That's why I'm involved in this work. That's why my Christian faith is absolutely at the core of why I do this. And thousands of Canadians are joining us in this, this as well. So that's kind of my personal reflection, Karen, on how I, I navigate this space. 
Thank you. That's really helpful. What can we do, Canadian Christians at home who are going to be listening to this? What can we do today and tomorrow? Today and tomorrow, the first thing everybody can do, and that is pray. Pray for peace. Pray that conflict will stop. Pray for the leaders of the world that they can find a solution to this, because ultimately the only way we're going to really get through this is to end the conflict. And I believe it's going to need some kind of supernatural intervention for people to to change the hearts of some of the people who are involved in the conflict. That's the first thing. But the second thing, and I would say it's just as important, and that is to try to come out of our prayer and also express our prayers and praise in action. So to the extent that we can consider making a donation to an organization that's on the ground doing work. World Vision is, a, is one, but there are others as well, that that's the best way. We can take those resources, those donations, and turn them into tangible actions. Just like the supplies that I saw put on a truck just a couple of minutes ago heading to Ukraine, it's only because of the donations of Canadians and others, other people of goodwill from around the world that we can do that and get those goods as, as soon as we can. So making a donation responding either through your church perhaps or through an organization like world vision that's what's desperately needed right now because the needs outstrip our resources but yet we want to respond so you are sitting uh sitting in the back of a van speaking with us seven hours ahead from when we're recording this uh here what does the rest of your day look like michael well, today we are heading back to uh, a town that's about three hours away from here, Yash, which is kind of a, a center for some of World Vision's work. We'll be seeing some more, more work this, this evening. I'm actually facilitating an online roundtable with other refugees from around the world, making some connections again with Canadians to help make those points. Tomorrow, we're going back to Bucharest, where uh, World Vision is working with refugees who have made it down there. We're going to be joining a, a women's shelter to see some of that work. And then we're kind of, my, my job, I'm passing over some of the communications to another colleague who's coming to support the efforts here. So I've been here for about a week, uh, passing that off, and then I'll be heading back to Canada to continue to support uh, World Vision Canada's work and our appeal there. So it's, we, we're working together as a World Vision partnership, but that's, that's what the, next, the rest of the day and the rest of the week holds for me. Well, stay safe. Thank you for everything you're doing, and uh, thank you for speaking with us from there. Thank you so much. And thanks so much for the chance to share the stories from here on the front lines. Thank you for listening. Check out more podcasts and subscribe to Faith Today magazine for free at faithtoday.ca. This podcast is produced by the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada. If you enjoyed it, please rate or share it.